Hey everybody, I'm Anthony. I'm Noah. I'm Zach. I'm Sadie. I'm Dane. I'm Tucker. And this is Schultz Unfiltered. Hey, and thanks for joining us again, everybody. Uh, we have the honor and privilege of being here with a good friend, Paul Desolet. Uh, you know, just he's a staple and a, a, a not a, a not a matriarch, a p- patriarch, patriarch here in in our in our area. There are very few people I talk to or run into in the business community or life and whole that I say, hey, I'm friends or with Paul who don't know you and the impact you've had. And I think it's pretty amazing for for for, for somebody to have that much reach in their lives. I um. I don't know, I spend some time thinking about what life's going to be like maybe when I get older or maybe, I don't know, we all think about who's there when we, when we pass away. And sometimes you don't think you've, you've made that much of an impact. But you're one of those people I think um, when the time comes, the room will be filled with people that you have touched in your life because that's, that's, that's what I hear and understand. So we're thankful to be here and to learn from you and to hear what you, what you, what you have to say. Uh, we've just kind of had the theme of talking about business and things that are interest of, of the kids and uh, I know you had started your own business and became involved with it, and we wanted to hear what that what that was like for you, especially in your industry, which you were a haberdasher. How do you guys know what a haberdasher is? Tucker, what do you think? What do you think it was? Cutting wood. Cutting wood. Anybody <laughs> else have a guess? No, just just guess something random. In the clothes industry. In the clothing industry. That's right. That's right. Nice work. You may have heard us talking about it before, but owned a, a one or s- several different clothing stores and managed and owned and operated. And now just have a life where you can play golf whenever you want and transplant <laughs> and, and hang, hang out. So that's good to hear. So thanks so much for, for, for joining us. So what, um, you know, the, these kids are in high school age and, and looking for sometimes direction or, or, or not direction. So I know you had, you had graduated here locally. We're both, we're both graduates of Inglemore High School. Is that's that, right. That's right. And then, um, you know, did you have a lot of direction after that or kind of say, you know, I'm not sure what I kind of want to do yet? What kind of paths along did, did, did you follow there? I didn't have a lot of direction uh, as I graduated from high school. And as I was referring to uh, the Vietnam War period of 1968 through 1970 and on, uh, it was a very frustrating time in our country. And... Uh, nobody really knew if we were going to go forward as a country. Nobody knew whether we were going to go forward as individuals. And it was very difficult. But what was interesting was my mom and dad said, if you want money, you're going to have to go earn your own. So I worked in the restaurant business and I worked in the clothing industry for different jobs just to have money. I mowed lawns, babysat, worked at Englewood Country Club carrying a bag, like you've shown an interest in, Zach. And uh, so it did all kinds of things. And I think what always fascinated me was business itself and how it ran, how people made money. And if you make a customer happy, sometimes you can make money on the other end. So I (laughs) floundered around but ended up, uh, I was at the Lake Quinault Lodge for a two-year period. Okay. And... uh, I was assistant manager at the time in 19, so it would have been 72-ish, and was frustrated with the amount of hours that I was working. Um, It was a family-run organization, and if a tour bus pulled up in front, it was all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. And same thing at night, if there were a lot of people left over in the restaurant or 
the bar, it was all hands on deck to take care of the issues. And so I was looking for something different. And the Talisman, which was a men's and women's clothing store in downtown Bothell, uh, needed a person really bad, and my parents knew the owner. And so I ended up going to work for him. And within two years, ended up with my wife buying the business. <laughs> so you had ever, you had some service industry, but never, never in the clothing industry before. I had worked a little bit in the clothing industry. I worked for Lamont's back in the day. Oh, yes, I remember Lamont's. Selling, you know, jeans and shorts and occasional sport coat and ties and shirts and stuff. Nice. Now, were you, would you consider yourself a fashionista at the time? Would you, did you have interest in clothing? I always had an interest in clothing. <laughs> when I caddied in Inglewood Country Club, I had a couple guys that I caddied for, one in particular who was a very snazzy dresser. When he now, now describe snazzy at the time. Well, when he, like. when he walked out of the clubhouse from the locker room, his shoes, now back then they all wore leather shoes yeah. and had to be polished, right? Yeah. His were polished better than anybody's. <laughs> and his pants hung perfectly down on top of his shoes. <laughs> and his sweaters and his shirts looked perfect on him. And he always looked the best. And I thought, but how I was admired his golf game? that. How was his golf game, though? His golf game was fun, phenomenal. Oh, so he looked the part and played the part. He and his wife were extremely good golfers. And I was very lucky to caddy for them for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. And uh, so that gave me impetus to dress well. Nice. Tucker, you have a question for us? What's your what question? What do you got, Tucker? What was your favorite favorite video game in the time? You know what? We didn't play video games <laughs> at all. <laughs> we didn't have video games when we were your age and Dane's age and Zach's age. How uh, about you show? Pardon? Yeah. Ask again. Show. What's your favorite like show? Favorite show at the time? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I didn't have very many favorite shows either, but I think you, you and I have talked before. I liked cartoons when I was your age, especially. You know, and I liked Wiley Coyote and Woody Woodpecker and all those kinds of things. <laughs> so you were intrigued by, the, <clears throat> by this, the store, the, the Talisman. Yes. And you had worked for a couple of years. And yes. What was that like working for somebody else and, and you know, trying to help people and size them or fit them or style them? Like, how was that, how was that a skill to learn? That was, uh, <laughs> I guess I just learned it by osmosis, by being there and watching him help people mm -hmm. and realize that when, then when I realized that the majority of people who came through the door knew less than I did, that's when my advantage was on my side of the court. And I was then able to really truly advise somebody for the right direction. If a truck driver came in and wanted something dressy, he would want, his, his, his uh, level of dressiness would be totally different than the person who was a business owner and, and flew to Sun Valley and, and had all kinds of financial means. Just different styles of and clothing. Different styles, yeah. yes. And so, Consequently, you'd have to figure out how to sell that customer the right thing for their level of dressiness or casualness. And it was really, a, I think, a talent, you know, and I think I was pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. 
Yeah, Sadie. Sadie. So you would have to have like a skill of like reading their look and like their styles. Oh, definitely. And it's funny, Sadie, that you ask that about reading people. I also learned that when somebody walked into the store and they didn't look particularly snazzy or dressy, that didn't mean they had no style, no style or no mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. And you had to talk to them and figure out how to solve their particular issue mm -hmm. for, for their needs. And it's, uh, that's psychology. <laughs> well, what's, what's, Tucker, before you ask your question, our, our pre pre previous guest, Danny, last, uh, last week, talked a lot about emotional intelligence and emotional IQ. EQ. 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 Okay, thank you, Zach. And regardless of the field you go into, how important that is being able to read people for the de desired effect. See, I think that's exactly what you just asked. It's EQ. That's a great answer. Do you feel like that's something you had or you learned? Like you always kind of had part of you? I don't know how I got that. Maybe it was, maybe I always had it. Well, I, I've, I've, I, maybe it's refinement over the years. I've always known you to be very outgoing and have that skill. And I think for myself, somebody, you know, I talked to the kids about this before, somebody who's now made a living for 20 years talking on the phone but has a stutter um, that, that is I you never would have told me that before. But there is something to, to it. John, my boss thinks thinks I can use it to my advantage sometimes. And I, I tell him I'm not that slick with it. It, it just kind of happens. But it happens at that tender moment when someone's trying to say yes or no to a sale, apparently. So I don't know. I haven't tracked it yet. But you just kind of learn it by emotional intelligence. And so I think, I know for sure you're very good at it from my own experience, but um, probably get better and better over time, I'm assuming. Well, you know, the, the golden rule, do unto others mm -hmm. as you, as you would have them do yeah. unto you. If you sort of simplify that as you're selling, emotional intelligence is find out what that person really needs and then just kind of supply suggestions that lets them pick and makes them feel good. And that's sort of a rough interpretation of the golden rule. Yeah. You know, you're not stuffing something down somebody's face. You're actually just suggesting maybe you should think about this for them yeah tucker you had a question buddy what was like your favorite like comfiest shoe in the time in your store oh, oh my gosh that's a good question you know my comfiest shoe while i was working has changed a little bit uh when they first started making soft insides and soft soles. Uh, and Nike kind of changed the world with that in the tennis shoe and, and sports shoe, running shoe industry. And as they started to evolve that into dress shoes, boy, that really helped me. It was my favorite, and I also love to sell them. We sold shoes, too. And so as the shoes became more comfortable, people loved buying them because they were soft and comfortable inside and flexible. Um, do you have, like, a funny uh, customer story, like when somebody came in, like a funny one? Well, 
Going back to your EQ question and maybe relating part of that back and forth between that. Uh, I think several times during my career, I had people come in and I thought they wanted to buy a suit, let's say. And the more I talked to them, I realized they really didn't need a suit. They just needed something dressier than they normally wear. So then I would ask them questions and then I would find out that, gee, a real nice sweater and a pair of dressy casual pants was really dressy in their world. So if I sold them that, and then the funny part that you were asking about, Sadie, is then when they came back and said, oh my gosh, you sold me exactly what I needed. It was perfect. That's what made me the happiest. Mm -hmm. um, the response from the customer. Um, yeah, Tucker? Uh, what was like the first customer to like make a joke? <laughs> the first customer to make a joke? Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. All my customers made jokes because I liked to use humor in the store too and not be serious all the time. Uh, Dane. Do you still work at the store? Do you still no, I don't. If you'll remember where the store used to be was where the Bine restaurant is now in downtown on Main Street mm -hmm. and the hair salon next door. So both of those now have a wall down the middle. When I owned the store, it was open and I had women's clothes where the hair salon is and where the Bine restaurant is was all men's clothes. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I, re I retired, I was lucky enough to retire in 2016, in January. What was probably the most common item that you sold? Or like, yeah, because obviously there was like individual clothing. Did you sell more of straight up like just suits or did you sell more individual items or was it more shoes or, yeah? Well, that during the 40 years that I was there, it's funny because... As I look back on it, I would say probably 30% or 35% of my business was suits at one time, suits and sport coats. And by the time I retired, because casual had become such an integral part of the work world, mm -hmm. that then it was down to a sport coat, sweaters, not necessarily dress slacks, but some dress slacks yeah. and casual slacks and lots and lots of jeans yeah so it evolved and by the time i retired it was probably 10 percent suits and the rest of it was that middle casual dressy casual area mm -hmm. and so, that was fun yeah one of the things i think is is a lot of people who become a dentist or a doctor or in retail or whatever it is they enjoy doing the thing mm -hmm. that, that the but it's it's all once you start owning a business it's to your point of a CPA or a lawyer or an accountant. <laughs> so what was it like all of a sudden purchasing a store and now you have all this responsibility to not only sell the items, but you have to procure the items and manage people and, that's and soft I'm... skills, like all these other things that go along with that. Like how did do you feel like you was just drinking out of a fire hose or you just kind of learn things one at a time? Well, I think Noah, Noah was thinking the same thing. Maybe Zach too. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, 
one of the things you have to do as a store owner is you have to say, <clears throat> okay, I sell this much per month. Mm -hmm. So how much merchandise do I need on the floor to be able to sell that much and pay my bills and pay my employees, et cetera, and also pay for the clothes that I buy? So the interesting thing is there's a finite balance yeah. that you have to walk a tightrope. And as business is really good, you either have to have more merchandise coming faster or you have to have more on the floor, one or the other. And it's, it's just as hard managing a business that is extremely successful and selling lots of product as it is one that is in a recession, let's say, and it's selling less and less because you still have to finance all that mm -hmm. as you're going along. What else were you going to ask? How, I guess, how hard was it to like um, get clothing in, stay on top of like the clothing as it switched and as new things came about and like things like that? Was it harder to do that or was it kind of easy to see like, oh, these things are changing. I need to put this on the floor. I need to order this. I need to keep these things old so that for when kind of like the old souls come in, I guess like that I still have some of that, but well, when, yeah, well, cause today is like the trends happen every 10 minutes. Right, Somebody's exactly. wearing some yeah. like rubber, rubber boots or they're wearing flannels yeah. or what it's like. It happens every 10 minutes. Yeah. So how did you, but that's online now. So how did that happen before? Well, all that? I, I think uh, during when I was owning the store, I relied a lot on the vendors who were the, the companies who were selling to me. Mm -hmm. that I really, really trusted and I've, I created relationships with. And they would be responding to those trends and then showing me the changes yeah. quarter by quarter or month by month yeah. or whatever so it, was it was. So it was similar to like a smaller department store. You, would, you didn't have Paul Richard brand. It was, it was Polo Correct. or Ralph Lauren, all these things. They would come Cor to you and Correct. multiple brands. And so you have to keep up on all of them. So luckily, I didn't have to build my own clothing. I could buy my clothing from vendors who I really trusted and who sold me quality product. Yeah. The other thing I <laughs> the other thing I discovered, and maybe you guys too, when you buy something and maybe you maybe you didn't maybe it wasn't in your wheelhouse, you know, it wasn't in your normal uh, brand search or anything like that. And you buy something and the collar sits perfect and after you wash it it sits perfect and the buttons hang perfect and the day they don't fall off when you button yeah. your buttons and you go goodness i've got to have more of this mm -hmm. that was the whole key to my business yeah because if i sold the guy a quality product or the woman a quality product and she got compliments or he got compliments and then they came back yeah it was, I, jo I joked with my customers and said, it's like selling you good drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. Yeah. I, know, but I joked with them and I said, if I sell you the right product, I said, I don't have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Because you're going to come back. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I forgot what you were right, going to ask. All right, Tucker, go ahead. What was like your favorite friend? Oh, my favorite, my favorite friend, Tucker, I had lots of them, and I still do. Uh, and if you're talking about my business... Uh, That's what I'm talking about. Okay. 
my my favorite friends and closest friends were the people who were selling me the clothes that sold the best. They were made the best. <laughs> yeah. They were made the best. The company shipped them on time. Uh, it was easy to pay them. Everything just worked beautifully. Those were my friends. Do, do you think, going back to what you said earlier, that mm. like having the brands that sold you quality clothing and good items like that, it was easier um, to get business and to get things like that um, when you had kind of those those name brands and things like that and good quality? Um, or do you think that it was just kind of like a, even if you had made your own brand, you would have gotten the same flow of people? And then my other question was, did you have more reoccurring people and people coming back or more new, more new customers coming in? Like, things I, like think I, yeah. I think I had more repeat customers mm -hmm. coming from all over the place. Yeah. And what was interesting is when we first bought the store, uh, 1979, I think it was. No, what was it? 1977. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> In the beginning, it was very local. Yeah. It was the guy down the street came and shopped with us. By the time I retired, it was people from all over. And I mean all over. It was yeah. shocking. Probably 30% of our customers were local. Mm -hmm. And other people came to work. Uh, they came from France or they came from Texas wow. or they came from Oregon to work with Boeing or to see family, mm -hmm. and they stumbled upon our store. Yeah, and then they came back each time they came to visit. Yeah. Now, do you did you do any advertising, or was it pure referral and word of mouth? <laughs> In the beginning, we spent quite a bit of money on advertising. Yeah. And we found that the word of mouth was the absolute end all to be all as far as advertising. Mm -hmm. If I did right by you and sold you the proper product at the right price. And took care of you. That was invaluable. Well, I, th I think regardless of the business, we're the same way. Referrals and insurance, insur and referrals mm -hmm. are the best source, and it's it's much cheaper to retain a client than it is to get to get a new one. So they just keep coming back and back. We well, hit that on back. the nose. Yeah. So from a business side, it's the same thing. Regardless I, of business. And I learned that one of <laughs> one of the most rewarding things was to have a well, this is a ridiculous example, but you'd have a, a guy who's 60 toward the end of his career, and he was a customer for four or five years, and then he'd bring his son in, you know, who is 40, and then he became a customer, and then he would bring his son, which is the grandson of the first customer, and they would come in, and he'd want to rent a tuxedo to go to the prom, and he became a customer <laughs> after that. Time. Yeah. And that type of thing, uh, I don't know if it exists anymore. Maybe it does, but we—that was so special to see that uh, so special family to, to to do it all. Yeah, yeah. Back back to my first question. Do you think it was easier to um, have those kind of name brands and that good quality clothing, or do you think it would have been the same if you had made your own clothing and no, as much in my case, no, it was much easier to buy the clothing already made. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about what color, what style, what fabric. Mm -hmm. I could rely on the manufacturer who had the experience and the designers to put that together for me. Yeah. 
Danny, you had a question, buddy? Um, do you wish that, like, or do you wish that you weren't, like, or you did something else instead of working at the shop? <laughs> That's actually a really good question. Uh, no. I totally loved what I did at the shop. And just... Uh, I enjoyed doing the right thing for the right customer and having them come back. It was the best. Yeah. Uh, so in downtown Bothell, there's a bunch of uh, like wood, wood and pictures of all like the people that used to work there. Yes. Are, are you are you in downtown Bothell <laughs> as a picture? Yes, I'm on the corner of the building that we used to be in. Wow. Now, that started from my wife and I uh, when. The owner of our building passed away. He had owned the pharmacy for roughly 35 years. Yeah. <clears throat> he was kind of famous in the old-fashioned uh, sense that if you kids were with your father and you got sick in the, on the weekend and your dad didn't know what to do, he'd call the pharmacy and he would go down to the pharmacy, this pharmacist, Mr. Seide, he'd go down to the pharmacy and he'd get the proper uh, medication for you and then deliver it to your house. That's how cool it was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was very, very cool guy. And many times people give examples of how wonderful he was. Well, when he passed away, I'd had this long relationship with my family, with him, and also as the landlord, he owned our building. And so my wife and I thought it would be really cool to have a likeness of him put on the wall. And so we had an artist carve a rendition of him and put it on the wall. And the Historical Society of Downtown Bothell thought it was really cool. And so they started doing other people who had been influential in downtown Bothell. Mr. Shannon that owned Shannon Flowers and yeah. Bud Erickson that owned Erickson. That's really cool. Yeah, and all around. And then they, when we retired... They, they came to us and said, we want to do you. And I said, well, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and so, and I felt a little uncomfortable saying, oh, yes, put a picture of me on the wall. And, but the long story short was they said, you're part of the history of Bothell. We should do that. And so the artist came to me with an idea of how he was going to do it. My wife and I looked at it. We thought it was really great, and so he did it for us, and the Historical Society had it installed in the corner of our building, and we're kind of proud of it. And the funny thing is, is when it first went up, we had friends walk by <laughs> and take selfies of us <laughs> on the wall and say, hey, we just stopped by to see you. I, uh, <laughs> I, I've done and, it, yeah. Yes. And we got so many of those over the years. It's been really fun. Back, yeah. to, back to Dane's question. You started off finding a thing to do, and it seemed like it almost turned into a, a passion for you. That's correct. So when along the journey do you think that switch flipped for you? Like, this is something to pay the bills versus, man, I'm really enjoying doing this, and it, it's, it's, it's paying the bills as well. Uh, you kids need to listen to this. All businesses, all jobs have life cycles, and they also have ups and downs. When I survived the first, you know, 
recession or downturn in business and came out the other end still alive, still paying the bills, still being able to function, and realized that I had made it, and my wife and I still had the same employees, the business was still okay, I said, my gosh, I can survive anything. And then, so over the course of the 40 years we owned the business, we probably went through, I don't know, four major down cycles of finance, you know, in that Boeing shut their doors, uh, you know, Boeing, the, Boeing the still com, in business, but 08, yeah, all the things. 08, and the dot-com thing. Yeah, so we survived quite a few, and it was always because you had a good balance. Hmm. And when you suspected something was amiss, um, you didn't spend money, you saved money. Um, when you started your business, did it take you a while to get a lot of customers or... Like, did people, like, recognize your store? Oh, that's another good question, Dane. When we bought the business, it already had customers coming. Oh. So that was different than if you started a business and just had to open the doors and say, I hope somebody comes. So we had customers coming already. We just had to figure out how to make it better. Mm -hmm. So we realized quite soon that the easiest things to sell were those quality items that were made well, the collars were nice, the buttons were nice, the zippers didn't break, you know, and, and there were vendors who sold us good products, and we kept buying those good products, and I think that was our success story. Uh, what was your favorite sport at the time? Oh, as, as, a, as a young boy, my favorite sport, or right now, what do you mean, Tucker? Like, when you're, like, 40, what was, like, your favorite sport? Oh, my favorite sport was golf, <laughs> and still is. Mm -hmm. Did you like, um, like, selling, like, the close people or, like, interacting with the people more? Uh, interacting with the people more, I would say, Sadie, because the more you interact with them, the more you figure out their lifestyle and the more what, they come back <laughs> and the more they come back and the products because I don't want to I never wanted to sell somebody something that I had just sold somebody else unless it really fit into their life maybe they're a boater or maybe they play golf or maybe they go to the mountains on the weekend and hike all the time well those people might buy different products mm -hmm. for their normal work day so you had to figure out what worked best for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, no, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, as it, like, probably as it, as you talked and as you, like, got to know people, it probably became easier to sell clothing to them and to sell, just to read people immediately and stuff like that, too. So, I, yeah, that's probably a part of It became easier, too. but yeah. it, but it, I would say uh, reading people and listening to people as they're talking and asking them questions, not talking about yourself all the time, right, yeah. is a huge secret yeah. that I think a lot of people need to learn. Yeah. Well, as you said, you, you stepped away in 2016. Yes. So was that, you know, there, obviously we, we've talked about AI and change and technology a lot amongst, <laughs> amongst us. So 
that was about the time maybe Amazon comes along or other bigger box stores, or now they have drop shipping, right? Which is somebody orders online and it's created and then sent to them versus you having to have all the inventory there. So was it, did you feel like you were ready to walk away or all there were other pressures like this is just a changing world that we're seeing. And, and I think now is a good time. Like how, what was that like? In retrospect, it was the absolute perfect time to retire. But also I would say my whole life has been lucky. Uh, <laughs> it's good to be lucky. My life has been lucky. It's good to be and lucky. I, and I attribute that maybe to God. Mm-hmm. I attribute that maybe to uh, just the belief that if you do the right thing, that the right thing will happen back mm-hmm. back to you. Yeah. And that's how I've tried to live. That's awesome. And it's and marrying my wife is another good example. You know, we have been a pretty good team throughout, and uh, I laugh at some of our friends who say, well, how'd you ever work with your wife? They <laughs> said, well, my wife sat right across from me on another desk, but she didn't do what I did, and I didn't do what she did, and I let her, I delegated to her. She chose the things that she wanted to do, and I said, great. I would love it if you would do those, and I don't have to do them anymore. <laughs> and she had different strengths mm-hmm. than I did, and so we were a good team. And so I appreciate that as well, and that's why I say sometimes I look back at my life and I think I've had a lot of lucky breaks, but I think also that I've put myself in the right place to have those happen as well. That's good. Yes, Tucker, you have another question? When is it time to leave? Well, it was just to be about that time. I have one more question I thought you could take us out on. Being in fashion for 40 years and seeing what's going on now, what is the one thing that you're like, I cannot believe people are wearing that right now? Like either an item or a style. Is there something that you're just like, I can't stand it? Or do you think, you know, are you just okay with everything? Well, for those of you that are watching the podcast... You can see I'm wearing a brighter color mm-hmm. shirt. I I can't believe that everybody buys gray. Uh, gray. Uh, there are there are so so many colors that you know. Uh, back during during my career, there was the color me beautiful, and then and all the different phases we went through to find colors that look good on people. Yeah, and. That also was a thing that my employees had. They had a knack for putting men and women in the right colors. Uh, and it, you know, it can be, if you're going to wear gray, the right color gray. If you're going to wear blue, the right color blue. Uh, it, it's very deep and very funny that sometimes I talk about it, but it's, uh, it's very, very true. If you see somebody in the right color, you may not even know it. You just say, oh, that's a great-looking shirt. And you don't even realize that it's just the color. It's not how the shirt was made. It's just the color just looks the color. so good on that guy or that girl that that's what you get taken by. Nice. Well, anyway, well, I loved this uh, interview with you guys. And yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, th- thanks so much for, for spending the time. We're glad you were here. And uh, thanks for all tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you. Nice.